the face of the planet is a man-made catastrophe. We need to sound the alarm. This is an emergency, this is a climate crisis, and we need to act now. Because if we don't act now, we risk to create an irreversible situation in which it, whatever we do in the future, we will no longer be able to limit 1.5 degrees the growth in temperature in the end of the century. And why is it so important to stay below 1.5 degrees? Because even at one degree, people are dying from the climate crisis. Because that is what the United Science calls for. And we're here to say to all of you, on behalf of the House of Representatives and the Congress of the United States, we're still in it. We're still in it. It seems like that connection to how people actually experience and understand climate change is often missing. And then we go, why don't more people care about climate change? Why would they? Hello, this is Political Climate, a bipartisan podcast on energy and environmental issues presented by the USC Schwarzenegger Institute. I'm your host, Julia Piper, a contributing editor with Green Tech Media and a senior fellow with the Atlantic Council. So it's 2020 and climate change is as important of an issue as it has ever been. We're seeing this play out politically and in the natural world, where we're witnessing some of the devastating impacts of a warming planet, which scientists have been long predicting. Now, as we heard in the intro there, everyone from UN leaders to climate activists to prominent politicians are putting climate at the top of the agenda and calling out for more action. So what does that look like? That's what we're going to focus on in this season of political climate in various ways, and specifically in a new monthly series called The Path to Zero, that being the path to net zero emissions by 2050. And we're producing this series with the support of Third Way, a leading public policy think tank in Washington, D.C. This is a pivotal moment in the fight against climate change. There is a need to act now, and there's a lot of hard questions to answer over how to do that, how to engage the right people, how to create the right business models, how to make sure that this transition to cleaner energy and a low-carbon economy is working for everyone and accounting for injustices of the past. We're going to dig into all these issues over the course of this season, and especially in these monthly Path to Zero episodes. I promise you this will be an intellectually rigorous review of the path to zero. We are going to hash it all out and hear from guests that we think will discuss these issues in the most comprehensive way possible. This week, we're going to focus on setting it all up. First, a word from Josh Freed, founder and leader of Third Wave's Climate and Energy Program. He's going to talk a bit about why we decided to pursue this series and what we hope to accomplish in the coming months. Next, we hear from Dr. Jane Long, a scientist and climate strategist and former associate director for energy and environment at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. A final note, if you're new to political climate, welcome. And please note that you can subscribe to the podcast on virtually every podcasting platform from Apple to Spotify, Google Play to Overcast. Hit that subscribe button and follow along. You can also find us via Green Tech Media, or you can find this series on the Third Way website. Finally, we're on social media at poly underscore climate. And with that, let's embark down the path to zero. Hey, Josh. Hey, Julia. How are you? Good. Let's talk path to zero. Why are we even talking about getting to net zero by 2050 at all? Why is this a critical goal today? 
Getting to net zero by 2050 for both the United States and the rest of the world is critical because the scientists who have looked at climate change and what we need to do have made it very clear. The worst impacts of climate can only be avoided if we eliminate emissions. We've got to stop producing and putting carbon and other greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. And to do that, human beings as an animal respond best when they have clear goals. Getting to zero is the clearest goal we have. We're best when we know what the ambitious target we need to meet is and can rise to that occasion. So what do you want people to get out of this series on the path to zero? We are in a moment where there is a lot of understandable angst about climate change, fear, and uncertainty about the future. We hope the Path to Zero series gives people a better understanding, not just of the challenges and the different voices involved in climate change and addressing it in the United States, but also some hope and some opportunities that they may not have thought about or been involved with before. People are demanding action and they're looking for solutions, but the media doesn't often cover that component of it. Path to Zero hopefully will provide more insights both into the technologies that can help us get to very significant reductions in climate pollution and also understand what are the communities that are really impacted by this and how can we better engage and involve them in the solutions. And why is now a particularly important time to be talking about this? The path to 2050 started today, and it gets shorter every day. We need to have conversations with everybody involved in reducing climate pollution, developing technologies, or on the front lines in communities so that they understand and we understand what it's going to take and we start moving to zero immediately. Uh, my name is Jane Long. I am retired from the uh, Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, where I was the Associate Director for Energy and Environment. I continue to work on problems related to reinventing the energy system in response to climate change and also the idea of geoengineering, the intentional modification of climate. So many people are now becoming aware that the planet is facing a climate crisis, and they may have even heard that we need to achieve carbon neutrality by 2050 in order to stave off the most catastrophic climate impacts. But why is that? What is the climate science underpinning the net zero carbon emissions by 2050 target? So the way we understand what might happen to the climate of the Earth is through very complicated computer models that include a lot of the processes that control climate and, and the planet. So how much radiation is coming in from the sun and how much uh, is radiating back out and how the uh, water droplets form in the clouds and how uh, circulation occurs around the earth of both water and the atmosphere. And so all of these uh, processes show us that we're going to need to to uh, stop emitting and perhaps even go negative uh, on emissions, in other words, take carbon dioxide out of the air 
very quickly, within a matter of a few decades, if we're going to keep the temperature increase below 2 degrees or, or 1.5 degrees by the end of the century. So the question is, uh, how fast can you do that? And that's a very difficult thing to do. So far, we haven't even decreased our emissions. Those emissions are continuing to grow worldwide. So here in the U.S., many cities and some states have set such goals to become carbon neutral by 2050. And so do you think the U.S. is on the right path to becoming carbon neutral or reaching net zero emissions, or is it still way off? We have made some progress in some areas, um, but we're definitely not on the path. We uh, did have a small decline in emissions. The decline in emissions that we had was due to the decrease in cost of natural gas and that pushed coal out of the market in the electricity generation field. And as a result, emissions went down. And so there was a decline in, say, the last decade in uh, emissions in the United States, but that's begun to climb again. The real issue is the incredible increase in emissions that has been taking place in in, uh, China and in India. Globally, we are well off the target. How how important do you think the role of the U.S. is? We talked about countries like China and India having a big carbon footprint, but does the U.S. have a unique role here in perhaps being the leader or a leader in in this action? The U.S. has a a very important role because uh, we have to reach zero just like everybody else reaches zero. Uh, You can't have one part of the world go to zero and somebody else keep emitting and solve solve this problem uh, or, or even manage it. We have to have everybody pretty much go to zero. And to the extent they can't go to zero, then this idea of net zero is that people have to start taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, some kind of a negative emission technology. But we caused a lot of this problem. Uh, We're not going to be the main cause of it going forward, but we have a legacy and we owe it to ourselves and to the rest of the world to lead in this area. So in your mind, does a path to zero even exist? You know, this, this problem is so... Uh, large and so complicated, and we need to solve it so quickly that the idea of trying to solve it by agreeing about the goal but not agreeing about the means that we're going to get to the goal seems unlikely to me. This is uh, an area where we need to be much more strategic than we've been. We have to agree about the goal and then deliberate about what the strategic path to that goal is. Um, There are pathways to a zero emission economy, but each of them has barriers and problems that have to be overcome. And we're going to have to try all of these and find out which ones work in different places around the world and push them forward. And we're going to have to be much more strategic about doing that if we're going to reach these goals and much more pragmatic. So you mentioned net zero carbon emissions and actually pulling carbon out of the atmosphere. Why is that a part of this discussion? We have these other solutions like solar, wind, batteries, EVs, and other things. Why is carbon capture part of this discussion in your view? So as as you look at the economics of trying to reduce emissions, particularly in the energy area, which is the area that I know something about, 
as you get closer and closer to zero emissions, it becomes more and more expensive to develop the technology and deploy the technology that would allow you to have the energy that you need in your economy without producing emissions. And so in that end game, it becomes more uh, economical to look at taking a negative emission technology, in other words, taking uh, carbon dioxide out of the air. And I think that uh, those technologies are very expensive and difficult to scale up, but they need to be looked at carefully for two reasons. One is the end game of squeezing carbon dioxide emissions out of the energy system will be less expensive if we develop them. And also, because we're very likely to want to remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere to return us to a prior state. Probably the most important aspect of climate change that people have a hard time understanding is that the carbon dioxide we put in the atmosphere stays there for a long, long time, thousands of years. Almost all other pollution problems that we've faced, uh, if you stop polluting, you stop putting contamination in the river or the lake, eventually it flushes out and things get better. But the time scale for doing that in the atmosphere is thousands of years. We may not want to live with the concentrations of carbon dioxide that we already have or will have in the next decades for a very long time. And I think this was actually acknowledged by the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, if I'm not mistaken. They discussed in one of their most recent reports the need to actually remove carbon. Is that correct? Yes. A lot of the models that they developed to show scenarios for how we might, how climate might evolve over the future include scenarios for negative emissions. What they didn't do is put in much of the uh, thinking that has to has to happen about the feasibility of those technologies all of the all of the technologies that people have been looking at are very expensive and very hard to scale very hard to make big enough so that they really matter um, in the magnitudes of carbon dioxide that you need to remove from the atmosphere and what about the human elements things like who gets jobs and where and how people's health concerns are factored in in a changing climate. There's so many other factors here. I know you work primarily on the energy system, but when you look at the broader landscape, are you hopeful that we can tackle all these various elements that come with achieving a carbon neutral economy? When you work in this field for as long as I have, it's very difficult to be optimistic and, you know, all the data points to a lot of disruption, a lot of forced migration, catastrophes like we're seeing in Australia right now. And I don't think that you can, it's easy to be optimistic, but hope is something that is a different thing in my mind than optimism. Hope is a choice. Hope is continuing to strive. Um, if you're not going to hope, you're just going to rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic. And so I think that uh, I am hopeful, but that's a choice. That's an intellectual choice. And I think that if you're um, if you're aware of the data and the uh, prognoses, it's very difficult to be optimistic. It's going to be really hard now, no matter what we do. 
um, but it's going to be harder and harder and harder if we don't do anything about it. So I think it's critical that we focus on this and become very strategic and pragmatic about finding solutions. So we are approaching the end of a decade. Describe some of the climate changes we've already seen in the past 10 years or in recent years that stood out to you? Are we are we already in this moment? People talk about us being already in a climate crisis or a climate emergency. Is that what we're seeing borne out uh, in reality? We are seeing now things that people predicted would happen. Uh, more fires, more hurricanes, stronger storms, uh, some things that people probably didn't predict some things climate change models have done really well and other things they they didn't predict but the how quickly the polar ice caps would melt for example you know it's happening much faster than people thought you know you remember that climate change due to the emission of carbon dioxide was predicted 100 years ago but nobody thought it would happen this fast so one of the things i think is providing a real wake up call is how quickly things are changing now So when it comes to achieving net zero emissions by 2050, how important are the next 10 years? As we embark on this new decade, how critical will these upcoming 10 years be? Well, if you look at the projections uh, that people have made with the climate models, they're projecting we need to be uh, stopping emissions by the middle of the century. That's only a few decades away. And you look at what it's going to take in terms of implementation of new energy technology, and that's only one of the factors. Remember, agriculture is also a um, major producer of greenhouse gases. But the energy system, in a matter of, of decades, has got to be pretty much reinvented. To wrap up here, what happens if we don't mobilize solutions fast enough? Can you paint a picture of what lies ahead if we don't take sufficient action? What do the scenarios look like going forward? You know, I don't really want to be um, too hyperbolic, but the but the the outlook is very very grave. I think that vast parts of the world that are currently arable that can produce food won't be able to produce food. I think people will be moving, uh, migrating away from coastal areas that will be flooded and uninhabitable. Massive amounts of population will have to move. Remember that most of the population of the earth lives near the coast. Um, and they, many of these coastal areas will flood and not be habitable. I think we'll have more disease. We'll have more brutal storms, more fires. It's not a very pretty picture. The stakes are high. The stakes are extremely high. You know, I, I, I think that uh, we'll have a lot of extinction. We're already beginning to see that. And humanity is, you know, there's no reason to believe that humans are immune from extinction. I don't know if this could make us extinct, but it will certainly cause a lot of people to die. All the more reason for us to make this a top issue. And it's why, you know, we, again, want to make this a top issue of our podcast. And so what I'm hearing is there are, again, high stakes. But as you say, there's a choice to have hope and there's an option to find solutions and we can, you know, at the very least limit some of the impacts. I think we can limit them and I think we can manage this situation. Uh, theoretically, we can do that. Whether we can politically and pragmatically do it is another story. I think what we have going in the world right now 
is amongst people that think they have power and money, that they think that they can pull off a gated community kind of approach to this, that they can hold on to theirs and build walls and fences to keep everybody else out and manage the situation uh, for themselves without managing it for the entire planet. And I think that is foolish to the extreme. No one will be immune from this. We have to have people begin to recognize that we're all in it together and we have to figure out the pragmatic solutions to this issue. Dr. Long, thanks so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. Happy to do it. And that's a wrap for episode one of our Path to Zero series presented in partnership with Third Way. We'll have episode two coming next week featuring an interview with Dr. Stephen Chu, Nobel Prize winner and former head of the U.S. Department of Energy. We'll also bring back our co-host for that conversation, Democrat Brandon Hurlbut, partner at Boundary Stone Partners and former chief of staff at the Department of Energy under Stephen Chu. So stay tuned for that reunion. And Republican Shane Skelton, partner at consulting firm S2C Pacific and former energy advisor to House Speaker Paul Ryan. For now, hit subscribe and until soon.